almost started every game. My name is Herman Smith. I am the great nephew to the first professional black football player. Dre, I am super stoked because you know I'm a big Steeler fan. All right, welcome to another great episode of Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle Podcast. We have a great guest with us today. Dre, I am super stoked because you know I'm a big Steeler fan. Yes. And I, I love my Steelers. Yes, you do. I love football. But you know what? This is about someone I've never heard of. And I'm so proud and excited to have Herman Smith here. Herman is the great nephew to the professional, to the first professional black football player and the first time author of the family's tell-all book, Fullest Greatness Transcends. And I'm so eager to hear from Herman because I must confess that I've never heard of Mr. Follis. I didn't even know. I just know that football started in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with the Steelers and Allegheny <laughs> County. But I, I, I know Mr. Smith is from Ohio, and I, I'm just so excited to hear about that. So, so Herman, please, if you can, just tell us, tell us about you a little bit, and then tell us about your great uncle. Yeah, sounds good. Well, first off, thank you guys for having me. Um, I, I appreciate it. It's was, it was nice meeting both you gentlemen. And uh, yes, as, as you discussed there, my name is Herman Smith. I am the great nephew to the first professional black football player. Um, and this year was established in 1902 when this occurred here in Ohio, as you mentioned. Um, we are stoked just as a family. We're humbled uh, to be able to present this story, this never before heard factual true events uh, from the Fallis family. And as you mentioned, Smiley, something that everyone probably did yesterday and probably is doing today is watching football parties barbecues you name it so the impact and the things that the first professional black football player has on today's society and those individuals that celebrated don't even know his name has become shameful so we're here as the family to tell that story in the first release of Follis Greatness Transcends. Well, oh, thank you first for your book. And, and tell us why Why we, we hear of Jackie Robinson, we hear of the greats, uh, even the great athletes, if they're boxers, Joe Lewis, and all these dudes from way back when, why is his name forgotten in history? And, and I just think it's so awesome that you're resurrecting his name, his legacy, but where did he get lost in the shuffle? Because I would think he would have had the same, what was it, the... I think of baseball because I'm from Pittsburgh and you had the Pittsburgh uh, Homestead Graves and Josh Gibson and all those big, those black athletes. And when Jackie Robinson made it into baseball, it was such fanfare. When Mr. Charles Follis made it into football as a pro as the first one, why didn't they celebrate him? Or it just media wasn't that popular back then or what happened? Right, right. Great question, Smiley. Um, and, and you use the word, and, I, and I'll put it in quotes, resurrection. The, the, the issue was we have to think and understand the time period that we're talking about, the magnitude of the times of slavery um, and, and the things that Black America went through during that time frame. So our events and, and, and our uh, discoveries and, and things that we've done um, 
went unheard, un, unseen, right? The media didn't want to uh, give a black man or someone of black any kind of credence to anything, a, a discovery of making X, Y, or Z or football, you know? So for us, we have to remember the time period and how it's a, a scar on America, but that he was able to shine the light through all that to where we as the relatives, which is interesting, no one thought we existed. And we'll talk about that later on. So that's a big reason why his story went unheard for so long. So let's talk. Let's talk about him, Charles. Charles is it Follis or Follis? Follis. Follis. Charles Follis. So the first African American football player. We all we all know that when you're the first, right, comes with its own set of challenges, like you've referenced. Talk to me about what he, some of the things he faced, uh, and if if you could talk about the years he played. When did he enter the league? What position did he play? How long he played, and then some of the challenges he faced being the first black NFL player. Certainly, certainly, great question, Dre. Well, we again the time period we're talking is late 1800s, early 1900s. So this predates the NFL of 1920, predates the individuals that we hold in such high esteem today. Your Jackie Robinsons, your Jesse Owens, and so forth. Um, he started football in a, in, a, in a town in Worcester, Ohio, that did not have a program. And this was in the year 1899. So the impact that this family that were former slaves just by one generation would come to a community where there's very few blacks and start a high school football program and convinced not the, just the community, but the players to get behind him was just un, unheard of at that time. So what happened is he ended up going pro in 1902. And that occurred because there was a professional team called the Shelby Blues. And they came to Wooster and played Wooster when Charles was playing for their amateur team, the Wooster Athletic Club. Shelby, get this, guys, during that time period, they were beating teams on an average of 100 to nothing. Wow, 100. So when they came to Wooster and played Charles, which was the amateur team, Charles only lost 5-0. to zero. So the coach of that team said, I have to have that black person, we wouldn't know the term he used, but on my team as opposed to playing against him. So in 1902, he brought Charles to a sundown city. And Dre, to your point, this is where things get really interesting. What people don't understand is Shelby is a sundown city. And if you don't understand for your listeners out there with that. Yeah, is, for the listeners, we, we all know what it is, but for those listening, I mean, no, talk about a sundown city. Yeah, so the sundown city, really pertains and it's a law that's written and in some cases unwritten in cities where if you're of black or melanin color, you could be jailed or even killed when the sun goes down. So that means that you can 
frolic around in the city during the daylight where things they feel safe. But at night, if you're black, you must live in, in outside of the city limits. So Charles took that on, knowing that moving from Worcester to Shelby, Ohio, knowing that that city had that law, knowing he could be killed at any time. And he, he took that on. So that impact, people don't know. This is your first professional black football player. And today, people can't go to work because why? They don't like the co-worker. The person next to him is dressing this way. And so they call off work or fake sick or do whatever. This is an individual who would clock in and didn't know if he would clock out. So obviously we don't know. We can't read his mind. He's not here. But based on the research done for the book, what's your best guess as to why he would put himself in that position, right? Go to, to, to pursue this career in sports in a sundown city. That, that would be equivalent to, you know, <clears throat> me saying I want to be a, a IT programmer I'm, I'm going to go to a place where I know I'm not welcomed, right? Um, but they, they, they appreciate my skills and talent, but they don't appreciate me as an individual. So what, what uh, in your research, what made him decide to put himself in that situation? Was it the love of the sport? Talk to me about that. It was several things. Um, Charles comes from a, a family rich in morals and principles in the faith and belief in, in God. So they also believed in, they were not hindered or stopped by the color of their skin. Um, they were only limited by their own mind and their own imaginations and dreams. So Charles was taught this in the home of the Fallis family. This was ingrained and instilled in him. Um, he witnessed lynchings, uh, the KKK, the uprising in, in Virginia as a child, and the atrocities of losing several brothers uh, that we discuss in the book, Father's Greatness Transcends. So his thought process, his molding, so to speak, comes from within the family. And he knew that his impact on football would have a more bigger impact on society as a whole than just the game of the sport itself. Wait, wait, let's, let's, let's come from the inside out. So was he a running back, a receiver, a defensive player? Was he like Dion? He played on both sides of the field. Trevor Hunter. Let's talk about his – Trevor Hunter. Was he – I mean, if you go into deep archives, Dre, you'll hear about my accolades when I was playing. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> go. Go ahead, Smiley. To go, go ahead. Go ahead, Smiley. No hold back. <laughs> <laughs> I almost played. I almost started every game. Almost. <laughs> but, but let's talk about him. What was his skills like? I mean, he, he was he was great. But what was it? Did he play? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's funny you bring that up, Smiley. You know, yeah. But that, that's the whole purpose of the Charles Fallis Foundation is to inspire others to bring their story forward. You know, uh, and shine a light on themselves. But uh, back to Charles. Yes, he. Charles was a your very first two-way all-star player. He was the individual where you think of Deion Sanders, as you mentioned, the Travis Hunters, the, the other individuals that went both ways, the Chris Gambles at Ohio State back in the, uh, the day. So 
he was the individual that teams would orchestrate their game plan around because he was the running back and he also played linebacker. So the, the things that he did, he changed the game from the field to the, to the owner's press box. Because if you, if you guys during our research and football historians out there know that back then you only ran one play and it was called the wedge. And that's basically you line up all the players in the triangle formation. You put your runner in the middle of that and you try to steamroll down the field. Uh, in Charles's case, what he brought to the to football was he began to bounce it outside and hit the sideline. So then you begin to have your 90-yard touchdowns, your 80-yard runs, your 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 defense now has to plan and move, create cornerback positions and move people outside and then implement the passing because then they didn't have passing. Everything at that point was just running the football. So Charles's impact, and as we learned and we knew uh, back then, is his defensive prowess was a lot better, I say better, or more, more known than his offensive, even though the offensive gets the shine um, as he was scoring multiple touchdowns a game. Um, and the stats are rare, right? We're talking the 1800s to 1900s. They didn't interview Charles. There's no record of him having a quote in a newspaper anywhere. So um, that's why it's very important that we're bringing this story out today. Now, with his story, is this was this a family uh, story that was passed down and passed down? And, and you said, you know what, we need to release this. We need to let the world know. Or how did you find out about it? And and why now instead of five years ago or 10 years ago or next year? Like, what was the catalyst that says, you know, we got to release this. This is something that everyone needs to know. And yeah, how did you, how did you get into the, into the, what was the catalyst for you to write your family story? Sure. So for, for us, like I said, we, we, we carry the bloodline. So it's, it's in our blood. We, we, we grew up at the dinner tables at night, just like you guys did family stories, uh, witnesses coming over, telling their stories. So these things weren't publicized. These things, especially in the, we know as in the black community, our voices and, and, and our stories are kind of muzzled. Um, they don't get the, uh, especially then, we don't get the, the avenues like today, the, the Dre and Smiley show that you guys provide in, uh, in 2023, right? So what I'm an IT guy. So for us, we understand right now technology can do a lot with just one click of a button. Um, you can reach the masses through a show like this by just telling your story and having that opportunity. So I thank you. Um, and that is the reason why it's been so muted for this decades. Um, we as children, we grew up in a football household. I played football in my life, played college ball too. So I, 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 we get it. Um, and we, we basically learned it from them, you know, the blueprint of, of how to do it and handle yourself. Awesome. Well, let's, let's talk about the book. So the book, is it released? When is it released? Uh, where, please at the end, send us your link. Where can uh, people listening, where can they buy it? Um, What's what's the outcome? Meaning, is it 
I'm on Oprah talking about the book or, or what would make the Mr. Smith or Herman Smith and the family proud when they see their book X years, X months? What is that? Uh, or it's just the love kids. Now, it, it, Charles Smith is just part of that conversation. What would make you most proud and happy as a catalyst and the outcome of this creation? Well, your book? What, we're, what the main goal, what we're trying to do is tell black history. And basically that not just black area, it's American history, right? We want to tell the facts. We, we don't want to, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, sell out or, or, or have someone else monetize off of our story. Um, so it was very important for us to protect the legacy of our uncle, to protect the legacy of the family and the bloodline, and to show an example for others to bring their stories forth. Um, so right now with the book, Follow's Greatness Transcends, we decided the best way to get the message out to the masses is to tell a tell-all first from the family because no one knew that we existed. Um, there's, we, we talk about it in the book and um, that individuals were actually looking for the family, uh, su supposedly, um, but um, they didn't seek us out and decided to try to monetize off of the family's bloodline and so forth. So uh, they did not want to tell the true story. So we decided that at this time, it's best that we release this information ourselves. Wow, that's awesome. And, and tell me this, so would you, I don't know if you thought about it this far, but let's say the movie, is it Michael B. Jordan playing? Uh, Mr. Follis, or have you thought about it that far? Oh. Like, who would do your, which actor would give your uncle, the, the great uncle, the best justice on it if it's on the big screen? So I, I, I like that. I like that Like that name. Uh, Michael J. White and a few <laughs> others, you know, Denzel Washington. Michael J. Frank White would be nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you know, it, 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 would, it would take a, a very strong individual to be able to see our vision and, and to bring it to light. Um, because there's a lot more going on here than just football. Um, Charles was involved in a lot of black activism um, that, that would have to be portrayed. The NAACP, he was involved with W.E.D. Du Bois um, in, in a lot of the uh, black movements of the time um, that kind of caught the attention of the opposite side or the oppressor, as you would say, uh, the uprising of the the KKK during that time. So he is very, I want to say not controversial, I guess controversial in the way that if you think about Charles Follis, you talk about the, the things that he done from an athletic standpoint, but you have to go back and look at all the black activism that he was doing at that time, meeting in Canada with the true reformers, uh, being uh, guarded his funeral by several black militias throughout the Midwest. So uh, when we tell the reason why that occurred, now this is a black athlete and you have to ask your, your, the question why that occurred. Yeah. So as I think about the story you've shared, um, I think about my family line. Um, I, I didn't know any of my greats, but I think about my uncle and some of the traits that I have of his that just I'm really proud to have. I think about my dad, the traits I have of his I'm really proud of. I think about my son, 
And the traits he has from me that I'm proud that he has. When you think about your uncle, Charles, talk to me about some of the traits that just you feel that you have, you know, have also exhibited that, that based on your research and whatnot, that you probably pulled, you know, from him indirectly. Right. Certainly. Uh, just just the magnitude and, and the fortitude to 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 fight through adversity. Um, to, to, to meet it head on and to not cower down when you're being oppressed. Uh, stand firm in your beliefs and your morals and your principles that are instilled and ingrained in you. Uh, do not let those outside influences affect your movement and your purpose. So there's, there's, there's many things that have influenced me as, as a black man to be proud and to be hold your head up, you know, to, to shoulders back and, and to be able to mingle and, 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 and like be, have diversity in any circle uh, and not feel that your, your black skin can hold you back or is going to be a detriment to your success or movement or purpose. So a lot of those things are instilled in our family. And a lot of your, again, I see you guys both shaking your head as you, you yourself have those, you know, uh, talks and things with your children and your grandfathers and so forth. So um, th those things there, we, they do exist. You know, we, we, they, they, we, we just have to get these type of flat platforms and be able to exuberate and show uh, the example so others can lead and follow. For sure, for sure. Books like these, you know, the more we know about, you know, people in our past that uh, the successes they, they achieved, accomplished, in spite of, you know, it gives you a sense of pride, a sense of confidence, a sense of, I can overcome this as well. So books like these are really important. One of the reasons when Smiley told me about this, I was like, dude, let's do it. You know, he, he's like, we got, you know, this is going to be awesome. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we got to get him on. Another question for you, when I think about, you know, the conditions that he played football in back in the 1800s or so. Uh, and I think about the NFL today, right? What are your thoughts? You mentioned that you're, you're an avid football fan. What are your thoughts today about where the NFL stands as it relates to diversity and inclusion? Uh, have they met the mark? Uh, are they almost there? Um, you know, there's something I'll do. I'll, 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 I'll try this on you. I do this. I do this when I pick up my kids up from school to try and engage them in conversation. But it, it, it's really good because it, 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 it kind of goes in different directions. So, on a scale of one to five, big harm. Scale of one to five, five being a NFL's got this on lock. They got everything's good. Nothing needs to be done. But that's five. Where does the NFL stand on what they're doing as it relates to in a, uh, diversity and inclusion? Give me a ranking and then tell me why you rank them that way. I, I, it's going to be a little what they would think harsh, but for me, being a sports advocate, being a black American, um, and doing my research and knowing the impact that we have on the sport, I, I believe it's somewhere in the in the range of one and two. I don't I don't think enough is being done, um, and, and this is why I, I believe. What we see through our lens being done is how they how they monetize off of it. 
right? So if if, if they can if, if it can be monetized in a way to where they benefit, then by all means, um, then then it's like uh, in most cases run slave run. <laughs> so in, in in my mind, the fact that the NFL um, does not credit or give credence to the black man, and especially my uncle Charles being the first professional ever, and the, the things that he had to go through just being of melanin color to play a game and, and, and integrate a game that they didn't want us to and banned us for 13 years in the NFL. But when it became monetizing factor for them, then we can grab Marion Motley and we can bring him in and we can pedestal an individual that we can monetize off of. Um, and so for me, we, we, we almost think that the pro, and it's, it's named the Pro Football Hall of Fame, right? Not, not, you know, so it, it's not the NFL, you know. So they say, well, he's pre-NFL, understandably, right? Everything has a start. You know, they're not going to, the man on the moon, they give him the credit for being first, right? So uh, the credit should be given to Charles for being first. And what people don't understand is football was, back in that time period, was losing dramatically to baseball. It was almost being outlawed. Um, and, and the nation did not want to support football. So the fact when you have Charles Follis come in, and change the economic background to pro football. You're selling 200 tickets a game. Now Charles is coming to your city and you're selling 5,000, 10,000 tickets a game. So your hotels, your restaurants, all your businesses are making more money in one day than they make all year long. So as an owner, what do you do? You sit back and you say, oh, okay, I can put a Charles Wallace on every team. So you did that for a while, which is basically like a draft. You're looking at the NFL draft. You're looking for the next Charles Follis. So all these type of things that started in our, our mind, if you look at Charles's accomplishments, there's no reason why he shouldn't have a gold jacket and bronze bust. So, uh, so much I unraveled there. Um, first one is, so people like say other athletes, um, in the NFL or in the Hall of Fame, they're aware of him. They're just not giving him his credit, or they were not aware of his existence. Because that's that's one or that's a that's a dual-edged question, I guess, if it makes sense. Smiley, I'm glad you asked that because I've talked to several Yellow Jackets, uh, the old Green Bay Packers that won the, won the championship back in the day. I, I know a couple of those individuals, and they are very upset that they had never heard of Charles Fowles because in their minds, they wouldn't be there in the hall of fame if it wasn't for the sacrifices that my uncle made. And the fact that the NFL and others and so forth just didn't bring the story to light and give it the credence and credit that it needs. I mean, right now he has a three by five, seven, like a note card with his name in there in the picture. That's it. That's it. So the players are very upset about that, Smiley, and they know, most of them do not know. The question I have is, let's say you have the power. What, would our, what could our listeners do? Is it 
how could we help you to get Charles Follis into the Hall of Fame? Is it a writing email campaign saying you need to put this in or how is it? Is there a, a strategy with the book to to get him with his rightful spot in that Hall of Fame or is that the, the goal? And if it is the goal, how can can people help you if they're interested in this? All the football advocates and enthusiasts around the world. Yes, that that is a, a very uh, big goal of ours is, is to get him his recognition that he deservingly uh, should should have been uh, had a long time ago. So, uh, what what people can do is basically, um, you know, write to your to your local. Uh, officials and, and so forth. I mean, uh, Charles does have a law in Ohio for Charles Follis Day. So the government does recognize him in some form or fashion, um, his importance to society. So I would think that if individuals would write the Hall of Fame, speak to your officials, um, you know, like you would do any other type of uh, protest or in inclusion march or so forth um we would like to have that done because what that's going to do is open the doors for all the others that have the door closed on them currently at this point um and if you're going to leave the door closed on charles we, we're going to have to figure out a way to get him into the hall to get the recognition that he did uh, well deserves when you mentioned earlier you mentioned he was also associated with W.E. Du Bois and some of the activism, when he, um, let's say young people, they look at Jim Brown, they don't realize he was a beast on the football field because his later years, which he lived longer than he played in the football, they think he's more like an activist, you know, bringing the, the different gangs together in California. And, and if you're young, under, under 40, you don't even know he was like the baddest football player who played and would just change the nature of the game as well. Is, is Mr. Fallis like that? Because you mentioned he was he was an athlete, amazing athlete, but then he was doing social justice. So is it fair to say that like Jim Brown was like a, a following his history was repeated with Jim Brown? And then when you mentioned, I love it the way you explained when he was playing football and all the other businesses benefited. I thought about last week, the last three weeks with Colorado, after Dion beat TCU, that price went from forty dollars to four hundred per dollar, and he sold out the stadium three weeks straight. So, in essence, these younger people are reliving exactly what he did from a history repeats itself. Comments on that, or am I totally off the base when I, I put those parallels together? <laughs> You're dead on with that. You're dead on, and, and it's interesting that in the book we have an actual individual from the Akron Beacon Journal that's quoted that saw Charles play and saw all the football players up to 1975 play. So that would include Jim Brown. And he said that there was no one better than Charles Follis. And if he were alive today, he could play on any team. This is 1975. So when you talk about Jim Brown, I'm not taking anything from him. He was a beast as you as you mentioned, but where do we have on record in history someone that visually saw both players play and can give you an honest opinion about who was better? So for, 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 for in that instance right there, that tells you the impact that Charles had 
And this was not a black man that recorded this. This is a white man from the sundown city of Shelby that recorded this for the Akron Beacon Journal in 1975. So his impact today, as you kind of parallel to Jim Brown and the black activism and the things that he did, yes. And we believe that is a lot of the reason why he isn't being credence for what he's done for the sport of football is because of that black activism. Back then, where there was a time where Follis, if you don't score two touchdowns today, you'll be hanging from a tree like that man over there. So you don't have another black athlete or athlete that had to go through that type of pressure and stress to score a touchdown where not just the opposing team tackled you, but what Charles had is opposing fans leaving the stands and the field and corralling him and tackling him before he could finish off his 90-yard touchdown. So a lot of his stats were smeared because of just the atrocities and the, and the, and the, uh, the hatred of that time period. Man, that's fascinating. It, it's just, it, you know, a lot of times um, I, I just quickly go back to, to Chris Rock, and he was saying on his stand-up thing that his mother – had to go to the veterinarian because back in the day, they black folks couldn't go to the dentist. And when you just mentioned here, we're thinking about football. And yeah, they, they didn't like him in the locker room. He couldn't use the water fountain. But now when you put it in perspective, other fans is jumping on the field trying to tackle them. It just throws another dynamic into the atrocities he had to deal with mentally, physically, psychologically, and he was able to still stand tall. So that's a testament to your family and the morals and the values. And, and it's just amazing. So thanks for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, Dre. Thank you, Smiley. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, Herman, so we're going to ease into the final four. Uh, the, we, and here's the first question. It's not the final, a final four question, but it's a transition question. If you think about all that you've shared uh, about your uncle, What's one thing this book does not cover that you wish everyone knew about your uncle? Mm, great question. Um, I, there's, there's, there's so many things that, that he did that uh, we couldn't cover in a 15-chapter book. Um, but uh, one of the things that is so uh, heartfelt is that I don't think people will understand from after reading the first page to the last, grasp the sacrifice that he did for uh, and, and gave up for himself back then with not having a family, right? That part we don't touch on very much in the book, but we know as a family that really touched his heart at the end because, you know, he grew up with nine, uh, there were nine of them. Uh, family was a very big part of the father's family. And the fact that his own lineage, he couldn't carry on himself. That was a very big uh, hurdle and, that's, and, and the way that he died. So it wasn't, it was a tragic death. It, it was sudden. So it wasn't something that he was able to plan for the family because he was so focused on moving this black 
reform and activism uh, forward um, because it's only so long sports would carry you. And he knew that. He knew that. So he was beginning to change his course due to the physicality of his body, couldn't upkeep what was going on at that time um, into the black activism. But in not having a family, Dre, I think, I don't think people are going to grasp what that really is. So that's why it's really important that me, as the great nephew, I, I'm here to represent him. Uh, he's in the grave right now looking at me, wishing, go nephew, yeah. score one more for him. Yeah, awesome. Love it, love it, man. What, love what, it. what year did he transition? That was uh, 1910. 1910, okay. Wow. Okay. I want I want to ask how he passed, but let's let's leave that out there so those that want to know can go buy the book. That'll be that, 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 that'll be good. I'll, I'll tell you this. Yeah. I'll tell you this, though, Dre. What what the world knows, and you can Google. They say it's pneumonia. Okay, is what he died of. <laughs> we already know. Like like like, like, kid, like the kids like the kids say today. If you know, you know. Yeah, if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know. All right, so here, so, so here we go. The final, the final four questions. So, uh, smiling. The first question on the final four, uh, Herman. If you could have dinner with any three persons, alive or dead, who would you want to have dinner with? You're in one seat at the table, and the other three, who would the representatives be, and why? Number one would be for me would probably be Jesus. Awesome. Uh, just because. I have a lot of questions and he has the answers. I'll leave it at that. Um, the second one would be Charles. Um, I, uh, you know, we heard the stories. I, I you know, grew up, um, lived in the same room that he lived in and, and, and uh, his brother was alive, you know, so we were able to get that piece, but just to sit down and talk to him to see, you know, um, what, what was it? What was it really like, man? You know, just tell me how it really was, man. You know, was was it? You know, you moving from city to city was, you know, people hounding you. Did you have to be superstar? Like, you know, you got to push the people off. And you know, how was it really? You know, so uh, that would be number two. Um, and number three would probably be my father, um, just because I have. We have, you know, there's some things, you know, that you you wish you could have talked to him about or kind of did differently in your life. But, uh, yeah, those that, that would be my three. Okay. Okay. What's been your greatest success? Oh, wow. Uh, my children. I have uh, three beautiful daughters, uh, and they are... Uh, Wonderful, no issues, you know. I mean, for as 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 men, you know, we we we're, we're a little bit more. It's a little different when you got a your daughter, yeah. right? So because you know, yeah, no explanation needed. Yeah, yeah. There, so. but both me but, and Smiley uh, have, have daughters, we so have we get it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> they they keep us. We'll, we'll we'll end it there. <laughs> All right, awesome. Well, here it is. Um, what is your superpower? What is uniquely you? Superman flies, the Flash is fast, Hulk, the Hulk has his strength. What is uniquely Herman, your special superpower? Uh, simple uh, adaptability. Um, I, I, I frequent and move around in all circles of life. Uh, and it's a testament to my family and where I come from and uh, the teachings and, uh, and the morals and principles, and I do respect my elders. Uh, so 
I come from a different generation to where that was uh, instilled upon you. That was a must, and there was no no question about it. So, yeah. So, Fowler's greatest greatness transcends. That's one book that's under your belt. If you were to write an autobiography, what would the title be? Wow, that's a great question, Dre. Uh, probably be just Herman the Man. I like it. I like it. Keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, Herman, Mr. Smith, I am sitting here. I am I'm, like, like I said, I'm, I'm a football enthusiast. All through high school, I almost started on every Sunday, and I just <laughs> I'm from Pittsburgh. I'm a Steeler fan. I got my family members. They're they're all watching football now, and I'm just I can't wait to start telling people about Mr. Follis. Follis, I'm sorry, and and I asked all my friends if they heard of him. No one heard of him. So, and now I got the trivia. I got something I can win. I got something I can tell, and and I, I'm just hopeful that in the next coming months, thirty thirty six months, fifty months, he's a common household name. Little guys, everyone's talking about him. So thanks for, That's the goal. for writing the book, and I can't wait to read it. So thanks again. I appreciate you, Dre. Just to, just to piggyback off that, uh, big harm. I, I hope you don't mind by, by me calling you that. But I mean, this is a big this is a big endeavor, right? It's a big endeavor. You have to yes. have broad yes. shoulders, you got thick skinned, and have a lot of patience to take on something like this. To you know, to make sure it receives its just due, right? It's not something you can just do it passively, right? Um, I The books I read, typically, like 99% of them are biographies, autobiographies. Uh, I'm just drawn to them. Uh, this is one I plan to pick up, and I, I'm glad it's out there. Um, I appreciate the work you and your family have put into this. Like Smiley said, you know, we'll do our part to get the word out because um, it's, it's an important message for for everyone not just people that look like us for everyone to understand that hey you know this person made a huge contribution to the game uh in spite of what he had to deal with so like smiley said we appreciate you taking the time to be on the on the uh, podcast fantastic and, and from the charles Fowles foundation from my family uh bottom of my heart we appreciate this platform uh that you've given us the resources and your network to be able to get this story out to the masses. And it's overdue. And we're coming. Like Dion and those guys said, it's, That's the right. truth is going, you can't hide the truth. We coming. Uh, <laughs> we're coming. All right. All right. 